Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's a beautiful day here, and I'm excited about the weekend coming up. And I always want to uh, be honoring to dads, um, the dads that are going to be celebrating uh, with their families this uh, Father's Day. And I want to talk a little bit about Father's Day. So I thought I would go to the Well of Wisdom, and that would be Dr. Carl Ellis. He, in 2015, was appointed Senior Research Fellow with uh, the Reformed Theological Seminary. He's also the Associate Pastor for Cultural Apologetics at New York City Fellowship. He's authored several books, including Free at Last and Saving Our Sons. Um, he's uh, an amazing resource, and I thought, I'm going to talk to Carl, see if he can come on the show, and he said yes. So, Carl, welcome. Well, good to be here, Bill. Yeah, thank you. know, I know you've done work with Prison Fellowship, as have I, so I feel that bond with you. I know you did some in-prison in and in-community seminars for inmates and community volunteers. There was a statistic I heard this week from a guest that on Mother's Day, a card company had provided 500 cards for inmates, uh, and all 500 got snapped up. And they did the the same for Father's Day, and none got picked up. Wow. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I'd like to do a research paper on that. (laughs) I, I know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But I, I would just yeah. want to talk about how significant dads are and maybe the ways in which uh, the culture has diminished them and how important it is to uh, to be honoring to the dads. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is important. Um, I, I tell you what, being a dad is probably the most significant experience of my life, becoming a dad. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, all my life I'd I'd always been a son, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and and of course, you know, I you know I kind of had a, a vision for being a father one day. I thought, I remember I, I was about fifteen, and I just got the kind of began to think, you know, it'd be nice to have have a have a have a wife and a family and all that. And I, you know, that 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 kind of stayed with me. But it was interesting. I didn't realize how profound that was until my son was born. Um, it was interesting. It was a it had to be it was a C section, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was going to be in the operating room, you know. And also they put me. I had to go and, and scrub up and get you know get all these new clothes. And, I, and all the lockers around in the locker room said for fathers only. And I'm and I'm thinking, well, where the heck can I put my clothes? <laughs> um, you know. And that's, oh wow, I'm a father. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just it was it was in theological terms I would say that was an ontological. A paradigm shift for me. You know? <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, I, I realized I was going to become someone that I was not. Uh-huh. Mean, who I was. You know, what I'm saying it was absolutely profound. And uh, and so, as soon as he was born, you know, I it, it shook me up because I held him with one hand, and I, I realized, you know, he is totally. He had. He was. He had total trust. In my holding him, I could have just dropped him. I could have done anything, you know. I'm thinking, wow, that's how faith is. And then, as I, as I saw this little guy, 
uh, you know, I mean, he had my ears, you know, and that kind of thing, you know, it was just, it was strange, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I, uh, my, my heart just, my, this love just came out of me like, like I had never experienced before. And all of a sudden I realized how much God loves me. I, I didn't, I didn't know the father's love for his children until I became a father. And, um, uh, my my first thought was, if God loves me half as much as I love this young man, then I have nothing to worry about. It's it, it has still profoundly affected my faith, even up to this day. My faith tripled. You know what I'm saying? I, I really, it taught me how to really trust God as I watched my son and the way he trust, trusted me. Um, it was just profound. And I I've enjoyed being a dad. He's like he's 38 now. You know, I still. I still marvel at the fact that he's my son, you know. <laughs> so I just I just love being a dad. I mean, when I became a Christian, okay, I went from being a son to being a son. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But when I became a father, I became a whole other person that I didn't even know was there. And the other thing too that kind of kind of uh, kind of took me by by uh, off guard is that everything I had done in my life, I had studied for, I had gotten a degree for, or whatever. And here was something that I had never uh I had I hadn't studied to be a, I didn't I didn't take any courses on fatherhood and all that and yet uh when I became a father I kind of knew what to do uh, it was just uh, it was just a very a very natural thing and then my daughter was born after that and I had bonded with my son so much I didn't quite know what to do with a female you know <laughs> then it was about a week later I said oh yeah I get this this is a baby <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the thing that was really amazing was that the bond, uh, the uh, the bond that I had with my daughter, was just as strong, but it was a lot different. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. know, I don't know. I, I only have two kids. If I had more kids, I probably would have had the same. I would have, you know, uh, ex- experienced new kind of bonding. But but it was a very strong thing, and it's still a, a very strong thing. And uh, and uh, I, I just uh, I just thank God for that experience. And yeah. I just love I just love being a dad. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, Carl, I want to go back to that that first time you held your son, and literally you had a level of love pour out of you for that child that you didn't even know was in you, I bet. That's exactly right. Yeah. That, that, that's what was so profound about that. Yeah. Know? I mean, you had a whole new gear going on that you had never tapped into, and that that's child exactly right. that was minutes old was being enormously loved by this man holding him, who had no concept of the love that you were giving him. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, God, cre- he created that in me, but it was just one of those things that I didn't know was there until it just blossomed. And uh, it's amazing. It's just, it's just, uh, I just, lo- I love it. It's great. But uh, I, I love kids to this day, you know. Yeah. But don't don't you think, Carl, that in a way we're all wandering around like your little newborn son? Uh, not having a real comprehension of how much God loves us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when so you we, said we you, have no con, yeah, even us in the church, we have no, we 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 have a very very poor concept of that. Yeah. Because when you start to understand how much God loves you, it literally is transforming how you live your life every hour of every day. But when when Absolutely. that when that thought starts to slide away, like, does God really love me? Is He good? Can I trust Him? Um, that's when the trouble arises. That's right. 
That's right. I mean, just to think of God as my dad, I mean, that just says, that, that says it all right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and when Jesus says, you know, you fathers, you know, you know how to give good things to your kids. You wouldn't give your, 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 your son a, a, a snake if he asked for whatever. You know what I'm saying? A rock if he asked for right. bread. Right. And, uh, you know, and, I, and that's absolutely true. That's that intuitive thing that's, uh, that's, that's with us. I, I think a lot of times um, a lot of men don't, don't really, uh, sometimes when they uh, become unexpected fathers, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think they're afraid. They, they don't really want to bond with this child. They want to keep 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 the distance. But there is something that's that's really incredibly uh, profound uh, about uh, about being a parent. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the same for for mothers too. I mean, you know, it, it probably has a different kind of a slant to it. Of course, I'll, I'll never know. I'll never be a mother. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the other interesting thing was this, that as my kids grew up, um, most of their playmates, most of their friends did not have, um, uh, did not have access to their fathers, you know, and, and, uh, and so I, I went from being a father of two to being a father of like 22. Mm -hmm. I, I had no, I had no, um, you know, I was just relating to these guys. I love these kids, you know, and I had no idea uh, then how profound an influence that would be in these kids' lives. These kids have all, they've all done done well, and I'm not saying I'm the one that caused it. I'm, all I'm saying is that the their relationship with me was far more significant to them than I realized. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, Dr. Carl Ellis yeah. Jr. is my guest. Tell me about uh, Carl Ellis Sr. Oh, my dad. Yeah, yes. he was. Uh, he was an original Tuskegee Airman. That's oh, one wow. of the. That's one. Of, that's one of the great uh, prides of my life. But although, growing up, I didn't realize how significant that was because uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, they stayed in touch with each other after the war. You know and. And so, uh, you know, of course, they had kids, and they, we go visit, you know. So, I mean, these guys. I, I, it's funny. I was in a, <laughs> I was in a bookstore, uh, a Black History bookstore in Richmond, Virginia, about a year ago, and I picked up this book on the Tuskegee Airmen, and there were all, you know, there was there, <laughs> there was Uncle Charlie, and there was Uncle Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fun. And a whole lot of others. Oh yeah, I know them. You know? <laughs> and. Um, uh, but it was, but growing up, you know, I had so many friends that were whose fathers were Tuskegee Airmen. I just kind of had the impression that everybody's father was a Tuskegee Airman. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> and it wasn't until later on I began to realize how significant that was. You know, yeah. I, I knew I, I knew there was something unique going on because my dad, you know, when he came back from the war and married my mom, he. He, he he stayed in Tuskegee for a while as a flight instructor. You know, as a matter of fact, um, he 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 taught several pilots how to fly who are now flying 747s. Well, who are, have just retired from mm-hmm. flying 747 across the ocean. But the thing is that uh, you know, when I was about 11, I took advantage of of the access I had. He's a flight instructor, so he taught me how to fly. You know, so here I am flying all over the place. You know. At 11, 12 years old, <laughs> you can't even drive when I'm flying. <laughs> and, uh, that, <laughs> that was an amazing, and and I, I, I and I knew that was kind of special because I was the only one in my whole school, you know, my my say my high school, uh, who 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 actually flew airplanes 
And uh, my high school had like, uh, oh my gosh, about about three, four thousand students. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I knew there was something something special going on, but I didn't realize how how significant it was. Uh, I didn't, re- you know, I, over the last few years, I realized how much more significant it was than I thought it was. Yeah. So he he was a good man. He was a good man. We lost him in 2000. Oh boy. And, um, but uh, yeah, but I uh, he he and I he and I had our our, our ups and downs and all. Uh, uh, I loved him. He loved me. Sometimes we didn't see eye to eye, but toward the end there, he he began to see some things. I became a Christian. I became a Christian before he did. Okay. And he thought that I I was into some kind of uh, kick or some kind of cult or something. He was very host- hostile towards my faith, but then he began to see. Of the work of God's grace in my life, you know, He saw me in some really tough situations, and He saw how God brought me through, and He saw how God gave me insight into life about things, and He began to listen. He began to see some things, and and I think sometimes I went through all that, all those terrible things for His sake, so He can see what Christianity really was. And so toward the end, He really, I, I had the privilege of leading into Christ. Oh, you know, I love that. So, I love that. That was, a, that was a wonderful thing. Yeah. Let me take a short break. Dr. Carl Ellis is my guest, and we'll be right back. things about my friend and guest, Dr. Carl Ellis. He's joining us today. He is a senior research fellow with Reformed Theological Seminary, also associate pastor for cultural apologetics at New York at uh, New City Fellowship and serves as as a number of uh, uh, boards and is also a consultant on many cultural matters. And there are lots to dis- lots to discuss, but I'm thinking of some of the fatherlessness and how much uh, fathers need to be responsible in today's world to make the world a better place. Amen. Amen. What is the next uh, piece of encouragement you can offer uh, dads and and uh, fathers? Well, I you know I I, I just believe that. Um, when God created us, he created us to be uh, families, you know? And, uh, of course, his fatherhood is the paradigm for, for all other fatherhood. And, um, and, but it's a wonderful thing. There's so many who, who don't think they know, they know what they're doing, but I can just assure you that God, when he created us, he, he put that software in us that would blossom yeah, <laughs> and, amen. At, at, the right time, at the right time. So, um, but the other thing too, I think what I try to do, you know, over my, over, over in my life is I try to also, uh, function, uh, as a father to others who are fatherless. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's amazing how many kids uh, come along that just, just need a father figure. And I'm just honored to do that. I just, I just love it. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And sometimes, um, well, it, you know, it gets tough sometimes, you know, like, I, I just realized that, you know, a lot of times when parents are raising kids, you know, they say, well, eventually they're going to leave and they'll be on their own and et cetera. And uh, what I've just discovered, what I've not just discovered, I discovered after my kids grew up that 
<laughs> you know, you, you know, you never, you never lose that. It's like raising kids when they're children is one thing. It's another thing to have adult kids. You know, they <laughs> go through changes in life, they go through troubles, and 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 you know, you, you and you and you're still there. You're still involved, and uh, so it's. Um, I'm just glad. I'm just really glad that I have the honor and the privilege to do that. You know, I just, uh, I think that's, that's one of the things that all of us should do. And, uh, uh, that's, that, that's a part of the whole, that's a part of the created order, you know, at, at least in terms of the way God meant it to be. Of course, today things are falling away. You know, it makes me sad when I see organizations out there, the well-known organizations out there who, who, who think that the nuclear family is a, is uh is the result of a a a, a eurocentric uh, uh hegemonic uh thing on us and that kind of a thing uh, there are certain there are certain groups out there like i said that are well known that that there's no place for me you know it claims to be concerned about black people but there's no place for me in that group uh uh you know as a man as a father because uh because they 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 look down upon this, they look down upon um, maleness and all the rest of that. They think it's just patriarchy or something like that. And that makes me sad, you know, because the people are just being just let off, let over the cliff, as it were. So, um, I think we as fathers need to need to need to speak out and be more aggressive and be more assertive about the beauty of fatherhood and and uh, and and the need for it. I mean, people. People need fathers and mothers. That's true. Absolutely true. But people need fathers. I think there was a statistic, and again, I can't quote the source, but if a child comes to faith, there's about a 13% chance that other family members would come to faith. And if a mother comes to faith, the it goes up to 53% that other family members will come to, to uh-huh. faith in Christ. But if a dad comes to faith in Christ and becomes a Christian, there's a 90% chance that other family members will come to faith. Just the profound... That seems to be... Go on. Go the, on. I mean, the profound influence that dads have on families. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, my experience has seen that very same thing. Um, I haven't done the study on it, but I, I, I've noticed that too. It's a... Uh, the thing that really shakes me up sometimes when I think about being a father, and I'm, and I fall so far short all the time. But the thing that, as I held my children uh, when they were very young, I, I just realized that I am their paradigm for who God is, and that those are some big shoes to, to, to fill. So I, I it, let's put it this way: it increased my prayer life tremendously. Uh, when my kids came along, because I was constantly praying, "Oh Lord, let me model what fatherhood is according to your according to your uh, your 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 character." And 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 Lord, please save my kids. You know, I was always kind of praying for their salvation, and I was always trying to disciple them. I I, I, I discovered some new things about that too. That we a lot of parents, Christian parents. They, they 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 have these kids and then they take them to the church. They say, "Oh, I raised my kids in the church, and I don't understand why they they turned against uh, the faith." Well, it, God doesn't tell us to raise our kids in the church. He tells us to raise our kids in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. You know, and that is a that's a that's a function of discipleship. We have to constantly uh, disciple our kids to show them 
who God is to show them what it means to have faith, what it, what it means to walk with Jesus. It's not a thing you've got to wait to get them converted. You raise them in that, kind of like Timothy. Now, of course, the beautiful thing about the you know, the biblical teaching is that we raise our kids in the nurture and discipline of the Lord. But if it doesn't take, then we have another shot at them and say, hey, look, you know, you got to get saved. You know, so I'll take it either way. If, if, if my child comes like, like, like Timothy, gradually, <laughs> like, you know, raised by Eunice, that's great. Mm-hmm. If my kid comes like, like, like Paul, <laughs> you know, gets knocked down on the way to Damascus, that's cool, too. I, I'll take it either way, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I, but I, I, I find that fathers have a tremendous uh, impact on kids if they know how to disciple the kids. We have to learn how to disciple our, our families. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's important. Yeah. Did you uh, learn a lot about patience raising your kids? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, but but you know what's scary? You know what's scary though? You know, some t- a part of your kids are you know part of. I realized a part of my kids were, were were me. You know they, <laughs> you know I I actually. Now, when it's it's a good trait, when I think they they exhibit a good trait, I don't have I have no problem with it. But when they exhibit a bad trait that I have, that's scary. Yeah. And that's uh, and the other thing about kids too, what's so neat is that, you know, they 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 display their fallen human nature a lot more than we as adults do. You know, so you can see that. And, uh, uh, sometimes they're amazed. That, you know, my kids were always amazed that, that I was able to second guess them on some things. But of course, I used to be a kid too, and I used to do the same thing. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Carl, we just have about ninety seconds seconds left, but okay. I, I would love for you to encourage uh, men to be uh, to persevere, because there's got to be a lot of frustrations today and and struggles. And I know I just want to encourage my listeners, and if you would encourage them to persevere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in a culture that where, where everything is getting turned upside down. It's, you know, if you're a male, if you're a Christian, et cetera, et cetera, you're you are considered to be an oppressor and all that. Just, just that's just a bunch of baloney. Let's go by what the Bible says, and 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 we'll be fine. And you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get uh, a lot of flack from people. Uh, I get a lot of flack on in cyberspace. People call me every, everything but a child of God. You know, some people think I'm a, I'm a radical Marxist. Some people think I'm an Uncle Tom. And my only request is just spell my name right. You know, <laughs> 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 but I, I would just say, just persevere. Stay with what you know. Be true to the Word of God. The Word of God will give us wisdom. That's where we need. That's we need to look to the Word of God for wisdom. And there's so few people who do this. We look to if we if we look to the Word of God for wisdom and we follow the wisdom that the Word gives us, then we have nothing to worry about. And just think about it. I mean, you know, who is it? Who whose children are we? This is the the creator of the whole universe. He created the whole universe out of nothing. I mean, right. gosh, you know, he, he's. He's strong. He's, yeah. uh, he's, uh, he's invincible, so we have nothing to worry about. Well, Carl, thank you so much for weighing in. I was always uh, glad to talk to you, and uh, you're just a delight. Have a happy Father's Day, and thanks for joining the program today. All, All right, Bill, and happy Juneteenth, by the way. Absolutely happy <laughs> Juneteenth. Thank you so much. Hey, okay. Yeah, Dr. Okay. Carl, Dr. Carl Ellis Jr. has been my guest. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to get back into the study of the Book of John with Dr. Greg Heddington. Be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. 
Okay, okay. We are back with uh, my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. We're going to jump back into the book of John as we continue our study. And when this is all done, we're going to post every episode so it can be conveniently accessed on the webpage. So we're really glad we're going to talk about John 14. Dr. Greg Heddington is with us on our studio line. Greg, welcome. Thanks so much, Bill. Yeah, I'm loving the study, as is everyone else. So let's not waste any time. Let's get started. All right, well, welcome to our study of the Gospel of John is today. We look at chapter 14. The title for this lesson is Our Supernatural Faith. And it may seem a bit abrupt wherever you are right now, but we're going to start by talking about the afterlife. So, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral one, introduction. Nobel Prize winning author William Soroyan lay dying from cancer in May 1981. He picked up the phone next to his hospital bed and called the Associated Press. When a reporter got on the line, he said, Everybody has to die, but I always believed an exception would be made in my case. So now what? <laughs> well, we know that the odds of all people dying are 100%, and Hebrews 9.27 states this. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment. So we know that the judgment is also the time when Jesus will usher his followers into heaven. No one escapes earthly death, and the Hebrews 9.27 repudiates reincarnation and any idea that there will be a second chance to believe after death is just not going to happen in spite of what movies might happen to you might have to happen to see roman numeral two statistics on what americans believe about the afterlife here's some of the latest statistics from the pew research center which tracks cultural trends this survey took the opinions of what americans believe about what happens to them if anything immediately after their death For the sake of definition, people typically just check off a category, so when a person claims to be a Christian, traditionally that means they know they do not identify as a Jew, Muslim, or Hindu. When the person claims they're a churchgoer, it traditionally means they often or sometimes attend a worship service. When the person claims that they are an evangelical, it traditionally means they are serious about their faith and have a decent understanding of the theology which the church has espoused for many years. So here we are, the most recent statistics about what Americans believe. 70% of churchgoers believe everyone will go to heaven, even though 20% of evangelicals are not sure heaven is a real place. Oh, my. 44% of all Americans have no idea where they will go if they go anywhere, but only 2% believe they'll go to hell. That sort of makes you wonder how someone might live their life if they believe they're going to hell in the end. Lastly, 65% of Christians and 50% of evangelicals believe there is more than one way to heaven. Now, that last statistic is really disturbing for those of us who take seriously the Word of God. One conclusion we can make from the results of this survey is that just because someone claims to be an evangelical does not necessarily mean they actually know very much about their own faith. That's why I'm very thankful for you who are in the radio audience serious enough about your faith that you study scripture and listen to this study of uh, the gospel of john on the radio roman number three chapter 14 of john jesus and his apostles are having a meeting in a friend's home in jerusalem the day before he's to be crucified they share the passover supper together and then jesus gives an extended teaching while the apostles are clearly anxious because jesus 
has just announced that one of them's a traitor and that Peter, the virtual leader of the twelve, will deny the Lord three times. But Jesus tells him, don't be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Then he says, I'm going away, but I will prepare a place for you, and I will return to take you with me. Then he says, you know the way where I'm going. Now, the Apostle Thomas might be thinking, well, maybe Jesus is going back to Capernaum or to some small town we've never been to before, and I sure hope he gives us a map. So he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Then Jesus gives the great exclusive claim of John 14:6 that people who took this Pew survey either didn't read before or didn't want to believe what Jesus says when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So our faith is not based on following rules. As Jesus says, faith is focused on him alone. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth that sets us free. And he's the only one who can give abundant life. Could not be more clear. Yet we see that Philip misunderstands. What Philip essentially is saying is, so so Jesus, you're, you're tight with the Father. Okay, now, maybe I was not present when you gave us this teaching before, but this is fantastic to know. So do you think that maybe, um, maybe you could ask the Father to make just a short appearance here to show us his glory? I mean, I mean, right here in the room, could you show us the Father? Well, at this point, we've got to assume that Jesus, in his humanness, is probably shaking his head and thinking to himself something like, Are you kidding me? What do you mean, show us the Father? Where have you been for the last three and a half years? Where were you born? Missouri? The show me state? <laughs> You're asking me to produce the physical presence of the Heavenly Father right now? Do you think you could live through that experience? Wow, I wonder how many of the other apostles are thinking the same thing. Well, we don't know exactly what Jesus is thinking, but we do know that he replies, Philip, have you been with me for these years and still you do not know who I am? Don't you know that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Now, let's be sure that we understand what Jesus is saying. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit remain distinct persons within the Trinity, and they constitute one being in three persons. So even though Muslims misunderstand that part, we only worship one God. And right up to the end, the disciples did not understand this, and we also do not logically understand it in our finite minds, but we do believe it in faith. As we've seen throughout this gospel, believing is seen. Roman number four, in Jesus' name. Scripture contains huge blocks of information on prayer, and chapter 14 is one of them. Jesus says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, asking in the name of Jesus is something new to the disciples, and they will hear it again in chapter 16, 23, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Ask and you'll receive, that your joy may be full. Okay, so what what does this mean to us when we pray? It does not mean that by adding on the words in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer that it creates some kind of magic potion so that God is obligated to give whatever that person prays. The culture in the first century in which these words were spoken took names very seriously so much that they equated one's name with the character, the spirit, and the authority of that person. For example, 
if you're representing person A and you arrive in his name and you approach person B in the name of A, then person B already knows very well what person A thinks and what he would like to see achieved so you can speak for him. Therefore, when Jesus tells the disciples, and again, that's us, that we will do greater works than he did, and we spend enough time with the Lord in order to know that whatever we do or ask is intended to glorify him, then we can ask for anything in his name, and he will do it because we only want to do his will. So we're told we can make that request in the name of Jesus only because we have a pretty good idea how he'd want us to pray. Now, it it doesn't come quickly. It takes time to know the Lord's will by spending time with him in scripture and prayer. But what a joy it is to be able to walk daily in step with the Holy Spirit. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, Roman numeral five, the parakletos. For the first time in John's gospel, Jesus tells the apostles that the Father will be sending the Holy Spirit in order to guide them into all truth. Now, this is the third member of the Trinity who has existed from eternity past. The Greek word for Holy Spirit is parakletos, which literally means one who comes alongside. In different versions of scripture, that word is also translated as helper, advocate, friend, comforter, and counselor. Jesus promises the disciples that this helper will live with them and be in them. And this phenomenon is now true for every Christ follower today. Although the Holy Spirit's activity is most clearly demonstrated in the book of Acts, there is no book in Scripture that contains more theology of the Holy Spirit than John chapters 14 to 16. So, here's a question. Did this Spirit of God empower and guide some people in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is yes. The Spirit had made what we might call guest appearances throughout Scripture before the resurrection at various times with people who were committed to God. However, when Jesus says in verse 17, He will be in you, it is the promise that God's Spirit will permanently be in Christ's followers in a new and powerful way after Pentecost. Roman numeral 6, the supernatural. Regarding the supernatural, it seems, in theory, at least to me, that the more education a person receives, like let's say the university, the more that person would believe only in a logical, rational world. In other words, they may be more closed in their sense of reality. Yet what we actually see is going on today is there's a growing number of people with various educational backgrounds who are embracing the supernatural world more than ever before, and not just in the USA. We're noticing an increasing number of television shows, movies, books, dedicated to fantasy, fairy tale, science fiction, magic, aliens, UFOs. I mean, just turn on the History Channel. Zombies, vampires, witches, demons, ghosts, and the occult. For many people, the world in which we live has become so unpredictable and frightening, and if they're not holding on to a solid belief in the Lord to anchor their lives, then they'll try to make sense of life by ignoring what they assumed they understood, including their faith, and exploring almost any new idea which they consider to be, quote, spiritual. After all, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Now, Alexander Hamilton said that regarding one's political views, but it also applies to faith. So let's talk about us. 
Christ followers believe in some things we do not understand because we know that we're connecting with a creator of the universe who said in Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Now, you and I accept that verse without even an argument because we know we're speaking of the cosmic God who has now revealed himself to us. Some of his ideas are cosmic, and we do not understand some things that we accept by faith. Therefore, we do not discourage people who take an interest in exploring the supernatural, but we want to point them in the right direction because everyone is looking for purpose and ultimately for God, whether or not they're conscious of it. The British writer G.K. Chesterton concisely put it this way, The man taking communion and the man visiting the brothel are both looking for the same thing. In other words, they're both ultimately looking for purpose, for God. Bill, those are a few thoughts I have. i got a few more. Yeah, I know you do. I think it's probably important, though, for us to take a short break. Dr. Greg Heddington is our guest as we're continuing our study in the book of John. We're in chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible open during the break, you can make sure it's open with your pen in hand and a piece of paper as we'll continue our study. Be back in just a minute. Do not let your heart be troubled. That's the way the 14th chapter of John starts off. We hear that all the time. We need to be reminded of that all the time. We're studying chapter 14 today with Dr. Greg Heddington, and we uh, are loving this study. I know I am. Greg, let's pick up where we left off. Yeah, well, Bill, let's, let's think about this. We as Christ followers are living supernatural lives every day. And furthermore, not all things in life are what they seem to be. We're only able to see what's occurring with our limited human vision. But if we were able to see what is actually going on in the spirit world, and Scripture occasionally gives us a glimpse of what's going on behind the earthly curtain, then we would see the invisible spiritual dimension that is operating concurrently with ours, which is nothing less than the battle between the forces of the demonic versus the army of God. Therefore, when we speak to a non-believer, we're not just talking to a person. We're also speaking to a person who's blinded and fooled by demonic spirits. So that's why we keep everything in prayer. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's other people. But rather against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's why we put on spiritual armor daily. And we rely on the power of the one who comes alongside of us, the Holy Spirit. And that armor is listed there in Ephesians 6. Now, if you'd like to get one glimpse of that supernatural world behind the curtain, check out Daniel chapter 10 sometime. Very interesting. So we're talking about our supernatural faith, which we understand better through the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promises will be our helper that will be with us all our days and lead us into faith and truth. Roman numeral 7, briefly considering what we believe. Now, when we reflect on the various religions in the world, even though they all have a supernatural element to them, Christ followers are convinced through the truth revealed to us by the Holy Spirit 
that our belief makes the most sense. But let's not forget that much of our belief also has a supernatural component, and that's why even as we live and share what we understand about our Lord, it will continue to be the job of the Father to, quote, convict the world of sin, because we know we all need a Savior. So let's also remember that one of our themes in John is believing is seeing, and we will see a lot more of what is really going on spiritually in the world when we believe. So let's take a moment to consider what we believe. So we're focusing on the supernatural element, which we often take for granted. Here we go. We believe that about 2,000 years ago, an angel of God appeared to a poor young Jewish girl living in Palestine named Mary and tells her that she will give birth to, quote, the son of the most high God who will one day take the throne and his kingdom will last forever. Yeah. Absorb that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) So she is to name her son Jesus, but she's troubled because although she's engaged to be to a man, she is a virgin. The angel tells her that's not a problem because, quote, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the child will be called the Son of God. Now, we're familiar with these verses, and, and we believe them, but it's only the beginning of the supernatural nature of our faith, which we happily, thankfully, and graciously believe. Years later, the center of our faith becomes based upon this God-man who leads a sinless life, gathers a group of 12 disciples around him as their rabbi for three and a half years, is, <clears throat> is followed on and off by several thousand people, of which some truly believe, while others are just curious onlookers who hang around like groupies to watch the miracles and hope for maybe a political change. Jesus does perform many miracles, but clearly emphasizes the idea of, when you see me, you're looking at the Father in heaven, so believe and know God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, because he is a threat to the religious and political leaders of the day, Jesus is arrested and crucified by the very people whom he came to earth to save. He dies on the cross, is sealed in a tomb, comes back to life three days later, just as he said he would, spends 40 days giving more instruction to his disciples, and promises them that after he departs, the Holy Spirit will arrive, live inside them in order to give them power to follow him, to know the truth, and to do miracles in his name. Lastly, he commissions his disciples to extend this good news about him to others until he returns in the end. And then he disappears into heaven to be with the Father. Now, that's a summary. We who call ourselves believers agree with these things. They're remarkable. They're supernatural, as I've just mentioned. And since we do, how is it that we do not always live a life of wonder, astonishment, and thankfulness every day that we know the Lord who has done this for us. How can we possibly think that the fact that we know God as as nothing less than miraculous and mind-boggling, and yet we just sort of take it like no big deal? Furthermore, why would we not have a deep longing, a, a desire to tell others about this remarkable news so that they might also live a life filled with meaning now, and the promise of eternal life. As the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 8, verse 11, quote, The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. 
That's what God had in mind from the very beginning. And how can we not desire to share that truth with others? Now, one of the findings of that Pew survey, which we looked at earlier, is that 78% of unchurched people say they would listen to someone who shared what they believed about Christianity. I want to repeat that again. The findings of the Pew survey say that 78% of unchurched people say they would listen to someone who shared what they believed about Christianity. Mm. That should be a great inspiration to all of us. Indeed, it should be. And in Colossians 1.27, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the mystery all humans have always searched for. So we're not alone because the Spirit indwells us, and we are the only hands and feet that God uses to get his message out to others. And, of course, we use his living word, God's scripture, along with that. Well, you might ask, well, how about other religions? Okay, well, here's a couple of points. First, we never use the word religion when we refer to what we believe. Why? Because ours is not a religion. By definition, religion is humankind's attempt to reach God. Ours is based on God reaching out to us. Second, our faith is unique. Why? Because our faith is based on revelation and relation. We've received the revelation of God who revealed himself to us through our relation with his son. And Jesus says in John 14:16, I will leave you a helper, the spirit of truth, the paraclete, who will be with you and in you forever. And finally, yes, let's admit that ultimately we do have a supernatural faith but it makes sense. And I quote again from G.K. Chesterton, the great British writer who had such an influence on C.S. Lewis. Chesterton so cogently said, quote, Christianity is rational, but not simple. It's odd, but truth is odd. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, guide us in the way we should go. Comfort us in our sorrows. Give us your strength in our weakness. Fill us with your peace, presence, and power. This day and always. And Bill, I think that's a prayer we could probably use every hour of the day. Boy, amen to that, Greg. So I love chapter 14. I love this whole study. But uh, I wonder if you couldn't mention a little bit more about in 14 what Jesus means when he says, greater works than these will you do. That's always been kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, okay. We got a little little time there? Yeah, we got a minute and a half or so. Okay. Well, that's a good question, because verse 12 is one of the most interesting verses in Scripture. Jesus tells the disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Well, the best way to understand this verse is just to take it literally, as Jesus said it. Jesus' ministry was limited to time and space, three and a half years of earthly ministry, and he never went outside the boundaries of Palestine. Now, we read in the book of Acts how the disciples carried out the ministry to many other countries, and to many more people than Jesus had been able to reach. So when Jesus says they will do greater works, he does not mean the disciples would be better at doing the works that he had done. Jesus means that when Pentecost occurred, which is described in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit would give the disciples the power to do the same kinds of ministry that Jesus had been doing, like sharing the gospel, performing miracles, ministering to people's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs, helping them grow in faith, and showing love, mercy, and compassion to everyone. Furthermore, these works of his many disciples will be accomplished on a worldwide scope. 
And that's what I think Jesus means when he says, greater works than the ones I have done, you will do. Mm-hmm. Greg, I love that you reminded me and maybe others that the heads of religion teach you how to get close to God, where the head of Christianity says, I am God. Big Amen. difference. Amen. Yeah. Really great to have you uh, back on the program again, Greg. And I know that uh, listeners, including myself, are loving our study of John. And I so appreciate you being so faithful, taking us through this amazing book. And it is just an amazing book. It is my great pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a blessed weekend, and I will uh, talk to you later. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Greg Hennington has been my guest. I just want to remind all of us uh, that if you missed any of these episodes on John, we will at one point gather them all together and you can you can binge listen to them. Maybe you take a, a driving trip somewhere and you go, I got eight hours in the car. You can listen to all these episodes at once. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.